Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. So uh, after this service today, we got our kickoff party out on the front lawn. I encourage you to go out there. I look forward to spending time with y'all. Also, I want to remind the men of RPC that next Sunday morning is our men's breakfast at 8 a.m. We have a special speaker, Alvin Townley, who's really an amazing communicator, a real inspiring uh, message he's going to bring. So I invite you to bring um, your family, uh, the men in your family, to uh, the breakfast next week. So we're kicking off our, our fall sermon series. You know, 100 degrees, it hardly feels like fall. Um, on the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is captured in two places in the New Testament. It's in the Gospel of Luke, which we'll look at, I think, next Sunday, but also in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew kind of lays out what Jesus says, how we should pray. So I'm going to invite us all to pray the Lord's Prayer at the conclusion of my prayer before the sermon. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the ministry we are a part of. We thank you that we get to be here. We pray that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might teach us about one of the great mysteries of the Christian life, about prayer. Or you show us what to pray for, how prayer works, that you might inspire us to be more prayerful and prayer about the needs of our own lives and the needs of the world. And so... We pray the prayer you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Teach us to pray. That's the title of our sermon series. How would you teach someone to pray? I think Jesus uses a strategy. It's the same strategy that was used to teach me how to drive. Now, I don't know where any of you, um, where you grew up, but for where I grew up, you were required to take this course called Driver's Education. And they taught you how to drive, and I took it with B&B Driving School. And I took it with my best friend, Nate. And we'd get there early because we'd go to the little donut shop next door. We'd get all hopped up on sugar. And then we would come to driver's education. And we would always sit in the very back row where we could misbehave. I know what you're doing back there, folks. And, and, so, and so we would be back there, and the teacher would do whatever he could to make us pay attention. And so what he eventually started doing was he'd show us these videos, these clips about what people should not do while they're driving. He showed us videos of people drinking and driving and getting in car wrecks, people falling asleep at the wheel, people not looking where they're going. He tried to wake us up. This is what you're not supposed to do. And as soon as we saw what we were not supposed to do, we memorized that. We practiced that. It freed us up to do what we ought to do. It showed us, don't do this, but do this. This is a classic pedagogical technique. Don't do this, but do this. And Jesus uses it when he teaches us how to pray. 
Jesus uses the same technique. See, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew falls right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. You remember, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' largest collection of moral and ethical teaching. And the, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is at the very center. It's as if Jesus is saying, prayer is at the heart, it's at the center of the Christian life. It's at the heart of his message. And so we say, well, what does it mean to pray? How do we pray? Does prayer make any difference? And so Jesus begins by saying, don't do this. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Do not be like the hypocrites. Don't go out and pray in public just to try to get everybody's attention. Say, oh, look how religious I am. Look how pious I am. Stop, stop your religious peacocking around. Don't do it for other people. Don't be a hypocrite. There's an inauthenticity to these kinds of prayers where you're not communicating to God. You're trying to communicate to everybody watching you how religious you are, how spiritual you are. And Jesus says, stop. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do this, do this. So he goes on in verse six. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, don't pray out in public. Go into your closet. Go into your private place and have time just with you and God. You don't need to use fancy religious words. This isn't some spiritual magic. You can go into your room, into the quiet of your room and in private and pray. He goes on to explain, again, what not to do when you pray. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus, I, I love this. This is ironic for a preacher. He says, you don't need to go on and on, right? Have you ever been around somebody? When they're just like praying and like everybody like starts looking up at each other and they're like, let's wrap this thing up. Maybe you feel like that sometimes with me. <laughs> you know, Jesus says, you don't need to go on and on and on and you don't need to use some fancy words. Keep it succinct. Speak your truth. Get to the point. God is listening. Get to the point. If you ever have the opportunity to hear somebody pray, when they're really talking to God, they really believe that they're communicating with the God of the universe, it can be a transformative experience. One of the um, business leaders in Atlanta is a guy by the name of Tom Cousins who founded Cousins Property. And I got to know Tom over the years, and once I heard him speak at the aquarium downtown at an event where he's receiving an award. And the topic of his religious conversion, how he became a Christian, came up. It was fascinating. I'd never heard anybody say this before. He said he went to this church over by Georgia Tech, and there was this famous pastor there named Dr. Vernon Broyles, and he said he was sitting in the pew, and he heard Dr. Broyles pray, and he said for the first time in his life, he heard somebody pray as if there was somebody up there listening. He said it changed his life. Dr. Broyles became a father figure and a mentor to him. Now you can go all over Atlanta and you'll run into buildings named after Broyles because he prayed like 
somebody up there was listening. So Jesus says, you don't need to go on and on and on, and you don't need to try to get the attention of others. This is what you don't need to do. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Let me read that again. Do not be like them, like the hypocrites, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Wait a second. If God knows what I need, if God already knows what he's going to do, why do we need to pray? This is a tricky theological question. Has anybody ever asked this question to themselves before? And maybe you're like me. Um, sometimes I'll ask a question like this, and I'll be like, I'm the first person in Christian history that's ever asked this question. Right? And it intimidates me. I'm like, oh, man, maybe I should lose my faith. Oh. Well, I did some research. And the best answer I've found to this question, why should we pray when God already knows what God's going to do, comes from the third century from a guy named Origen. Okay. Origen split his time uh, living in Alexandria and Caesarea. He died in the third century from injuries he had sustained under persecution and torture by Emperor Decian. Okay. This was not like just a guy sitting up, uh, some academic or theologian up in an ivory tower. No, he paid the ultimate price for his faith. And in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, he comes to this question. If God already knows what God is going to do, why pray? Here's his answer. Wait for it. God has decided to use our prayer as one of the causes to answering the prayer. Okay, pay attention. God has decided to use our prayer as one of the causes to answering the prayer. Now, philosophers, you may have heard of um, a vicious circle. This is called a virtuous circle. It's a circular answer, saying that, that we actually don't know what prayers God wants to answer because we're not God. But we still should pray because God has decided to use our prayers as one of the causes to answering the prayer. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Does Jesus say, so you don't need to pray? No, he goes on and says, then pray in this way. Your Father knows what you need, but you still should pray. God wants to hear from you. God wants to be in conversation with you. And so he begins the Lord's Prayer. He begins with two words, our Father, our Father. These two opening words are the key to understanding Christian prayer. This first word, our, the first person plural, our, our. There are no lone rangers in prayer. Our prayer is united with the saints down through the ages, the church, our prayer. Even when you pray by yourself, you are not alone. Our Father. This is a communal act. We're in this together. This includes all of us in the church, our Father. But it also includes Jesus himself. We can pray our Father because Jesus invites us to join him in praying. Even when you pray by yourself, you're not alone. I think this is Paul's point in the passage that Lindsay read. Paul writes, When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Our spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, is connected to God's Spirit. 
We're in relationship. Our Father. We can pray our Father because Jesus invites us to pray. We're adopted into the family of God, and so we're children of God. And so we can call God our Father. Now, this is why we can call God Father. Because Jesus makes it so, makes it possible. This is a radical innovation in religious history, that you would call the God of the universe something so personal, so relatable as Father. Our Father. That's how the prayer begins. Now, some folks struggle with this word for Father. When I was uh, in my third year in seminary, I interned for the Aquinas Institute at Princeton University. And the Aquinas Institute is the Roman Catholic student organization there. And I interned there and worked with this Philadelphia priest named Father Tom. Father Tom taught me a lot, and I taught the catechism class for people who wanted to join the church. I I led some Bible studies. I would um, preach occasionally. And every week, somebody would raise their hand and say, wait, I thought you were Presbyterian. I said, well, I am. But this may surprise you. We actually agree on a lot of things. And they're like, wow. I was like, I know. That's crazy. And so it was interesting, when I was working with Father Tom, we came to the Lord's Prayer. He taught me something really important. He said, there was this student several years ago, she could not pray to God as Father. Because Father was not a compliment. See, she had had a horrible human father. who'd been abusive, treated her terribly. And so whenever she used Father language, it brought up bad memories. It was tough for her. I said, Father Tom, what did you tell her? He says, well, at first I I let her know how sorry I was that her human father let her down and treated her like that. She did not deserve that. But then I told her that God the Father, God is spirit. And so God is beyond gender. We can only play Father because Jesus invites us to use that language. Because he talked to God as Father, we now can talk to God as Father. And actually, God shows us what true fatherhood is by loving, graciously communicating with us. And so Jesus invites us to pray our Father. One of the great books um, I've read on this is called Conversations with Poppy, which is uh, written by this theologian named Robert Jensen. And it's conversations that he has with his eight-year-old granddaughter. And he's this brilliant guy, and she's talking about religious questions. And so he's got to make it as simple as possible so she can understand. And he comes to this question about prayer. And he says, honey, do you know why we pray our Father? And she says, no, I don't. And he says, well, it's because Jesus invites us to use this language, to pray to God, the God of the universe, as Father. To pray our Father. And he says, in fact, when you pray in this way, our prayers piggyback Jesus's prayers. And I've always loved that image, that our prayers piggyback Jesus's prayers. They ride on, on Jesus's prayer. They're perfected in Christ. And so when our spirit prays, it's united with the spirit of Jesus Christ that in a sense prays in us and our prayers piggyback Jesus's prayers. I'm reminded of a story I heard not too long ago, of a father who was installing steps in his backyard. They were these huge boulders of 100 to 200 pounds apiece. And his daughter was there, and she, she's about five years old, and she really wanted to help. 
And he was like, honey, I, I don't think you can really help me. Why don't you help by singing? She said, I don't want to sing. I want to install the steps. I want to push the boulders. And so he let her help. And he said it, it took him much longer than he thought it would. And there she was with her little hands pushing on these boulders. That, that night at dinner, her mom asked her, what'd you do today? She said, oh, we had so much fun. Today I helped dad build steps. And I think that's like prayer. Prayer is just our little effort, our little bit, and participating with what God is doing, moving the big boulders of our lives, the big boulders of the world. And so Jesus shows us in the Lord's Prayer what we ought to pray about. Pray about daily bread. Pray about forgiving debts. Praying about not being led into temptation. Praying to forgive enemies. This is what the Lord's Prayer guides us to do. So when Jesus says, teach us to pray, it's about the concerns of our lives that God wants to hear from us. As the Swiss theologian Karl Barth once wrote, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And there is much disorder in this world. And so we begin by praying the prayer he taught us. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you invite us to call you such personal language, such personal terms, our Father. And we thank you that you perfect our prayer, that you pray on our behalf and our prayers simply piggyback yours. Lord, we pray that you might work in this church, in our lives, this program year, as we celebrate all that you are doing here at RPC and in the world, and that we might be a part of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.